Hello, Mystics fans, and we are here with head coach Mike Tebow for our first Mystics edition of Off the Bench for the 2018 season. Roque Davis here with Jeremy Hyman and Chris Gehring, and it's a pleasure to have you, Coach Tebow and General Manager of the Washington Mystics, joining us. Um, if we can first start with your GM hat, the 12-woman roster is now complete uh, talk about how you came to this conclusion and the type of players you wanted to have at the start of this season. Well, I think uh, for the most part, um, you know, we kind of knew where we were going until we got to our last two cuts. Those were the hardest ones. Um, you know, we have uh, a good nucleus of our team back last year. Un unlike last year, where we started with six new faces, we have eight or nine coming back this year, and. You know, we were able to kind of start training camp uh, as a, you know, f as a jumping off point from the playoffs. So uh, the, the battles came down to uh, one of our power forward spots and uh, one of our guard spots. And it was really tough because uh, having to let Allie Hightower go, um, you know, who helped us down the stretch last year and in the playoffs uh, was a tough one. But our draft pick, Ariel Atkins, has been terrific in camp. Uh, Shatori Walker Kimbrough was terrific in camp and you know the general manager hat kind of came on over the coaching hat and said hey for the long-term good of our franchise uh, those two young players are going to be a big part of what we do going forward. Uh, the other battle came down to a veteran Devereaux Peters and a rookie Maisha Hines Allen. Uh, we didn't even think Maisha was going to be available in our in the draft. We thought she was going late in the first round mm -hmm. and we ended up having her sitting there at our pick in the second round and that turned into quite a battle. And uh, Maisha basically it came to the point where she wasn't going to let us cut her. I mean, she was that good <laughs> in training camp. Uh, physically, she's you know as good as you could expect from a rookie. And uh, mentally, she was great. She picked up things quickly. Uh, she talked. She was you know uh, a quick study and everything. So uh, the two rookies are going to be a big part of our team. Um, we're starting with a few injuries, but you know. Uh, you know, getting Latoya Sanders back in a couple of weeks will really help. It's a veteran, uh, will help us particularly on the defensive end. So the battles uh, were tough and the decisions were tough, uh, but it was fun to tell those two rookies this morning that they made the team. That's cool. And how, and how important is it when you, have, when you have battles like that, when you have competition right off the bat, how does that help you set the tone for the season when you really just, when you jump in and, and, it's, and it's business right off the, right off the bat? I think it helps a lot. I mean, it was funny. The uh, first week of training camp, um, uh, Eric took uh, the rookie, all the new players, not just you know the, our draft picks, all the new players out uh, to lunch with uh, Tierra Ruffin-Pratt, who basically went through this her rookie year and let her talk to them and let her ask answer questions of theirs about you know how you go about you know making a team and. Uh, you know, she basically said that, you know, she lined up all the opposition when she came in and said, okay, I got to beat out that one and that <laughs> yeah. one and that one and yeah. went about the business. And that's kind of a way to think about it. And so, you know, our two rookies took a look around and said, hey, here's what I got to do to make a team. And when you have that kind of battle going on, both in the front line and the backcourt, it, it sets a great tone, like you said, and, and it kind of gets everybody juiced up uh, because they see the competitive spirit and it's hard not to join in that battle, even if you know your position is safe yeah and coach we've talked now about some of the new players and we're, how about someone who, who is a pseudo new player not new to DC someone you've had in the past and Mo Curry who's back here now um, 
how is she i mean someone you're very familiar with someone who is very familiar with the wnba i think 13th year now she's getting ready for um how has she been in camp with some of the younger players and just just having her back with sort of with this because it is a different team than when she was here the last time it's been great um her leadership has been terrific um you know i think and I'm not going to speak for her other than I think she has probably a greater appreciation for what this organization offers, uh, having gone and played a couple other places, uh, to see that this is fun to come home, uh, that she can be a factor on this team. Uh, I think she's grown up a lot since she was here before. And that, not in, you know, in the adult sense, but in the basketball sense of, you know, here's how other teams do things, here's how we do things. Uh, a greater understanding of how that all fits together, and she was able to convey that to young players. She's been very vocal in training camp, uh, encouraging people. Um, you know, I told somebody today, it's it, the the comparison is, you know, and she was a big part of it. Is that a year ago with all the new players, I felt like we had, you know, those that kind of, you know, teenage years where you're growing into adults. I felt like we had a whole bunch of adults walk in the locker room this year, and they were all on the same page. And she was a big part of that. When you look at this team, is this the most talented Mystics team you've had? I know there are a lot of expectations once Elena Deladon was brought in, but is this the most talented team you've coached? I think so. Um, you know, it's hard to say that when you take an Emma Mieseman out of the lineup, mm -hmm. but I think we've made up for it in some other areas. Uh, the rookies are more advanced. Uh, bringing Mo back will make up for some of the scoring that we lost with Emma. Uh, the team has had now a year to play together and go through a playoff experience together where we had highs and lows, and you learn from, you know, uh, playoff experience. You know, we always used to talk about when I was in the NBA, you got to go through the losing part of the playoffs to understand the winning part. And I think that, you know, the lessons we learned in the Minnesota series uh, will help us, uh, you know, start our season better than we did. Um, you know, how much on the same page you have to be, how more detail-oriented you have to be, you know, set a little bit better screen, talk a little bit better on defense. I think going through that against a team like Minnesota, who is, you know, the, the, the great role model for everybody else, uh, I think that helped us. And, you know, we just we, we looked like a mature group when we walked in, in the past, than we did a year ago. And what, now when you look at what how you can fine-tune the team and you have those veterans and Christy and EDD that can that can adjust to that quickly, what are some of those little fine-tuned things that you, you've got into now that you have your team in camp and you look now ahead to this weekend and starting the regular season? I think one of the things that jumps out to me um, is on the offensive end, you know, for lack of a better way of doing it, you know, we were kind of a democratic offense in a sense last year and that everybody's trying to figure out what they do best in comparison or with their teammates. Now we're at a point where they've played together and you can say to your team, hey, this is where Elena needs the ball the most. This is her favorite spot on the floor. You know, we need to get her 17, 18 shots in a game. We need to figure out how to do that. And, you know, point guards, hey, it's partly your job to figure that out. You know, Christy Tolliver probably needs a dozen shots a game. Mm -hmm. So if we're not moving the ball quick enough to get it to her, understanding that she has a hot hand um, and she only gets six or seven shots in a game, we probably haven't done it well unless somebody else has got it rolling. And then that's the next step is, okay, somebody's got it going tonight. Let's not all of a sudden just ignore them. You know, feed the hot hand. And I think that growing part – uh, helps you do that you know we got the the playoff game in new york last year our players quickly recognized that 
hey, this is Christy Tolliver's night. Let's mm-hmm. make sure she yep, keeps yeah. getting the ball. Yeah. And that was something probably earlier in the year last year that we didn't do as well. You know, you can't go, you know, six possessions in a row in a game and have – you know, not, and have Elena not touch the ball. That just can't happen. And I think our players understand that a whole lot better. You know, somebody like a Crystal Thomas last year when she came in, it was like a blank slate for us. What can we, how, how can we best use her? Well, by the end of the year, everybody knew, hey, this is probably the best offensive rebounder on our team. You know, let's put her in positions to do that. Let's draw plays as coaches where she's in right spots on the floor. You know, we're not going to run a lot of plays for her, but it's also crystal understanding, hey, coach isn't going to run, you know, 10 plays for me. So I'm going to score by getting on the offensive boards, by setting a good screen, by running the floor, and do those things. And now everybody starts to figure out what their role is. The second thing is that I thought last year, you know, we took a lot of threes. We weren't a great making team. You know, we led the league in attempts, and we were third to last in percentage. Mm -hmm. We spent all of our offseason with players who were here working out using the NBA line to practice shooting threes, and our spacing is better at it. And, you know, somebody like Tierra Ruffin-Pratt, you know, I basically told her in her exit interview, if you want to stay on the floor longer, you know, your defense is always why you're on the floor, but Mm – teams play off of you you need to make them pay so every day you probably need to make 100 threes right now so that we can keep teams honest and the players bought in they came in in shape so that maturity level has figured out every little detail gets a little better in that regard that's that leads right into what i was my next question what i was going to talk about that you love fast pace offense getting to the getting to your three-point spots and and now without uh, you know, I know you wanted Emma to always shoot more threes, but yep. she's she's one of the best shooters on the team, whether it was mid-range or three-point. Taylor Hill, who might not be back until sometime Mid-gym. in the middle of the season. Yep. Uh, you know, another good three-point shooter. So I was going to ask, how, how do you is – it, is it you need the players that are going to be filling in to take those spots, or do you have to adjust anything in your in your offensive game? Well, I play? think I think – you have to adjust if you're not a great three-point shooter how do we use that player so what we did in the playoffs last year is we made <clears throat> everything where we had like crystal on the floor or uh rough and pratt on the floor is that mm-hmm. they became cutters against the defense and other people got to the three-point shots well what you had this winter was tiara work on her three tiana hawkins has become a very good three-point shooter you know you already know that elena and christy are um Shatori Walker Kimbrough has been a big project for ours to become a better three-point shooter. We drafted Ariel Atkins with the knowledge that she could be a three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. So now the the idea is to go from having two or three of them to having six or seven of them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, I mean, obviously the proof will be in what we actually do. Yep. But what we've seen in training camp is the better ability to do that. And we use the NBA line for all of training camp for spacing in order to get better at that. And we called players out for not doing that. You know, Moe's another one when she was here before. We used to call her Toe Curry, you know, for <laughs> shooting with her foot on the line. And so we've been, we've been on her about that. And I start and I actually started finding her when she was here before for shooting <laughs> the ball with her, with her foot on the line. So now she's back to being Moe because she's all actually right. shooting it behind the line. And, you, you know, that's going to take a lot of pressure off everybody else. When you are talking about pressure, or I guess I'm going to ask this question about pressure, 
how much do you go into predicting what you want this team to do this season? How far you want them to go in the playoffs? Or just expectations you have for different players? You talked about an exit interview. Do you have an entrance interview where you're like, look, this is what I want to see from you this year? I had it with certain players, not with everybody. I think that kind of goes. I've had individual meetings as we've gone through training camp with players as I've seen how they've done. Um, you know, um, an example would be, you know, with Mo and, and Shatori both. What we just talked about is that, you know, you can't pass up these open threes. You know, you can't pump fake and drive into traffic and try to. We want you to shoot those threes. All the metrics say in the NBA and they say it in our league, you know, layups and threes are the most important thing. And if you can, why take a long two when you can move back six inches and make a three? So those have been those kind of discussions. Um, as far as the pressure of what we tell them, our expectation is that we should uh, do it in this order. The first order of business is get better every day. So when you walk in the door for practice, you should walk out being a little bit better in some way or another, uh, individually or team. That's, that's Don't look beyond that day and the next game. You know, whatever's next, that's what's on your plate. If you start thinking about, you know, the game that's three weeks down the road, um, you're, you're getting way ahead of yourself. Uh, I've never given them a number of games I thought they needed to win. Obviously, the best way to compete for a championship, make sure you make the playoffs. Um, but, yes, we would like to get home court advantage. We would like to, if we could be good enough, to, to be a top-two record so you get a bye mm -hmm. or get the two byes. But, you know, that's a nice thing to have, but you don't get that without being focused on the task at hand and every day. So, you know, when I think about a game two weeks from now, Basically, I think in terms of whichever coach on my staff is supposed to have that scout, mm -hmm. making sure that their scout's in place, and then when we get to that game, we're prepared and ready to go. But I don't, I don't talk in terms of numbers. I talk about it in terms of daily improvement. And if you do that, you'll get the best of your ability. I think uh, you know we, we have sports psychologists who talks to them about staying in the moment, playing the next play. You know, not being frustrated with the previous one and not getting too far ahead of yourself. You know, stay in that moment. And, and I think if you do that individually and you do it as a team and you do it as an organization, then you have a chance for, you know, a co constant progression upward. Looking around the NBA or the WNBA now, excuse me, the obviously that the top two teams maybe then the standings and, and going into this season, that maybe hasn't changed, but how much closer – do you feel this team is this season to, to breaking through that and um, and kind of the outlook of the top being as being a playoff team now and going forward? Well, uh, you know, L.A. and Minnesota have been there so many times in the last few years. You, you just have to assume that they're going to do the same th same sort of thing. Minnesota's a little bit older. Their bench is not quite the same. Mm -hmm. uh, they're probably a little bit more vulnerable than they have been. Um you know, L.A. is probably at the at their peak right now as far as, you know, a blend of older and younger. Um, but I think we can play with those teams. And I think that, you know, if we do what we're supposed to, then, you know, we're, we're going to give ourselves an even chance to try to beat them. I think there's some other teams in our league that are highly improved. You know, I think Phoenix getting Dewana Bonner back from pregnancy and adding Sancho Little, uh, they've got to be, you know, if I, if I were L.A. and Minnesota, I would think every time I play Phoenix, I'm thinking about playing against a, a, a great team. I mean, you mm -hmm. got, you know, Tarasi's still Tarasi, and Griner is still Griner, and, you know, they're going to be really good. Um, Atlanta improved themselves this offseason just getting McCautry back and adding Renee Montgomery. 
Connecticut was one of the most improved teams in the league last year. And you can go on like that. Dallas yep. is improving. I don't think there's very many weak teams. you got teams like Indiana who are, you know, admittedly in a rebuild. Okay. Uh, Las Vegas is in the middle of that too. But night in and night out, um, it's going to be really difficult. I looked at the, the predicted power rankings this week, <laughs> and I had to start laughing. I'm going to use it as locker room fodder, to be honest with you, because when somebody's telling people that you know we might get the last playoff spot as the eighth <laughs> team, I think that will resonate with our team a little bit. I think they see themselves now as being able to play with anybody in the league, and and they should see that. That's yeah. that's where they are right now. And and how exciting is it too, just to build off of that for you who's been in this league for a long time to see that level rise and and for your team now as a competitive team a playoff competitor to get to build every week and really test yourself every week is that you know is that an important part of eventually being you know on a championship level is getting that that work and that that test every week I think I think it is yeah and I think it it, it, if you do if if you go about it the right way you can develop a swagger that's not you know overly cocky but you can walk in every night and say hey we feel good about how we're about to play and how we go after these teams Mm -hmm. and you know I think that you know we are starting to earn that right I mean you know it's hard to say when you go through, you know, we don't want to be a one-year wonder and, and say, okay, um, it was nice last year, and let's live off that. We, we have to be better than we were. Everybody else is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we can develop a swagger about ourselves. And I kind of sense that right now in practice that, you know, players kind of say, hey, they're looking around some, we're pretty good if we want to be. Uh, but what they're doing that's different is they're holding each other accountable in the right way. You know, there's not the frustration when things go wrong. It's like, hey, let's fix this right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we made a mistake here. Let's fix it and move on. And I and I see that maturity there right now. And that's 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 a nice feeling as a coach to see your players doing that and self-correcting. Yeah, that's great, sure. especially this time of year to have it right at the beginning of camp season yep. starts on sunday mystics and fever on yep. sunday afternoon home opener season opener um, but as we're talking about the league a little bit i'm just curious your thoughts coach about the league as a whole um you've been around it for a long time you've seen the development of it um a little bit about the you know the media the media um aspect yeah the coverage the the you know how social media has kind of in, come into the league, um, sort of the big picture stuff of the league. What, how, how have you seen it kind of develop, and some thoughts and some areas that you think could still keep getting better? Um, God, that's a that's a lot of answers in this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me talk about the basketball part of it first, because that's the first thing that comes to mind when you're coaching. When I first came in the league 16 years ago. Uh, my sense of the league was that there was kind of a new generation of players every five or six years. Now it feels almost like every two years. That's how much the basketball part of the league has improved. The athleticism, the speed, the, the quickness, the, the size. I mean, you're looking around the league and seeing, you know, post play. I mean, Elena Deladon is a 6'5 wing player in some, in some yeah. cases. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of that. You have the Griners and the, the Cambages and the yeah. Sylvia Fowles, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 post players. Um, you know, you see athletes like Elena, like Maya Moore, like Agumake and Parker, who are multi-skilled players who can play like guards and play like post players. Mm -hmm. So I think the basketball part of the league is just taking off. I think the depth of the league is getting better. I mean, we're cutting players right now on every team that 
belong in the lead. There's only 144 jobs. So I think that we're closer to being able to handle expansion in a year or two where you could stock a couple more teams with good players without a huge drop-off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that bodes well because I think there's some cities out there that you know have interest in our league. That would be a huge factor you know, in the next couple of years. But before you get to that, you want to make sure that everybody that's in, the house is in order. Um, you know, I think that um, when you talk about the media part of it, I think it's better. Our TV coverage has gotten better. There are more games on ESPN, a lot more on NBA TV this year. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a market like our own where we have our own monumental network and we have you know every game on, and we also have a package now with NBC Sports Washington where they're yeah. going to do a dozen games or whatever the number is. And you know, so the exposure is better. Uh, the the digital media, the social media has improved a lot. You know, I, it it almost feels like the ancient times when you when I first came in the league and you think about God, we're going to buy a newspaper ad. Do we do a billboard ad? Do we? You don't even th- <laughs> yeah. you don't even talk about yeah. that stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many better ways to market and the way to target audience. The biggest breakthrough for me, I think, will come is when we can engage better with who the people who should be our biggest fans, which is young girls. Uh, who are you know who love the game and and we're running a, a, a significant battle right now and the battle is, is that you know those fifth grade to 12th grade w- girl athletes women athletes who love the game part of their summer is engaged in AAU basketball and trying to you know think about their own college scholarships and everywhere and I, th- yeah. I and I think we lose those players somewhere now we need to find a better way to engage them and their families. They should be our biggest fans. You know, you shouldn't have a a 14-year-old girl still thinking that her basketball role model is an NBA player. It should be a WNBA player. You know, they should want to grow up to be like Mm -hmm. Elena Deladon or Christy Tolliver or somebody else uh, rather than an NBA guy. And we're making inroads toward that, but I think we will have finally made it when we see that on a more regular basis. you know, I think that's 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 something that's been hit and miss right now for us. And they disappear for the month of July when they're all at all these AAU tournaments all yeah. over the country. We need to find ways to engage them more. You know, for us this year, because we're not going to be in our building in July, we miss an opportunity uh, that that would be great. Where there's so many AAU tournaments in D.C. in the third week or second week of July, and we only have one or two games in that month. As we go forward, and we're in our new building a year from now, yeah. we'll be able to maybe turn that into something bigger. But every team needs to be able to do that in our league. Mm-hmm. Are you excited about the new building? I know it's a year away, but um, as I discussed, we filmed a segment with you right. for get together. We talked about it as well um, that you'll see during the broadcast. But just Give us an update for those potters out there that want to hear about how the new building is coming along and and what's in store. Well, our players and staff are excited about it. I know fans are nervous. Every time you move to a new building, oh, it's a new area. I don't know how I'm going to get there. Where do I park? How do I get there? Well, there's going to be parking lots. There's going to be a metro <laughs> stop right at it, just like there is here uh, downtown. Um, it's a smaller building. Um, but it's it's an atmosphere that we can create that we don't have right now. Um, in a twenty thousand seat building, if you're not you know putting ten thousand in there every night, you don't have a home court advantage as a as a team. And we need a home court advantage. And our players are excited about going in there. It's going to be a beautiful building. Um, yeah, it's smaller, but it's going to be sold out and packed. 
Uh, we're going to have our own practice facility there with along with the Wizards. Uh, later this summer during our season, we're going to be able to start taking our fans on tours and see the building and, and show them how to get there and where they can park or how to get off the metro. And I think fans will be pleasantly surprised. You know, I think everybody is afraid of change uh, as a fan, but if fans who were out in Landover, you know, 25 years <laughs> yeah, ago, yeah. you know, came down here downtown and the area around Capital Arena was Capital One Arena was not like it is today. Yeah, you know, I remember coming here as a scout or an assistant coach in the NBA, and I didn't feel like walking, you know, three or four blocks around the arena. Now this is the hottest spot in downtown D.C. is to, is to be around this area and the mm-hmm. restaurants and shops and everything else. And, you know, it's going to take some time, but I think we're going to build an area around St. E's that will be fun to go to. The atmosphere in the building will be great. Uh, there will be more and more things to do out there, and it will become a destination at some point just like this is now here. There's one number in mind that I think of that I'm wondering how much you think of it. As you look at back at your career, you're the winningest coach in the mm-hmm. WNBA, and the number 300 could don't happen this it. year. Not at all. What, I don't even know what my number is now. I don't even know <laughs> what I'm at. So what I do think about is how we're going to get to the finals and try to win a championship. That's the only number that really counts for me. That's it. Is eliminating all these other teams and we're in the final two playing for a championship. That, that means more than anything. The, the number of wins, I mean, I've been an assistant coach. I've been Your Hall coach. of Fame. You're going to be Wall of Fame. I don't know about that. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I've got rings in the NBA. I've been part of, uh, you know, Olympic stuff. Uh, that's all great, but I want to win a WNBA championship. And I think that's the only thing that matters to me right now is, you know, uh, somebody asked me the other day if I would feel incomplete. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to put a coaching career. I mean, I think back to Jerry Sloan in, in, in Utah Jazz in the NBA, never won a championship, mm-hmm. and yet I still think he was one of the best coaches in the history of the, of the NBA. So should he be defined? Well, he, he coached in the Michael Jordan area, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, that was tough. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately for me, you know, I'm in the the Minnesota Lynx era, and you know, we we ran in. I was looking down the court last year in that playoff series, going, they got four Olympians down there, and we got one. one. Yeah. Um, but I think we're catching up, yeah. and so you know, I think I've been patient enough here to tinker and kind of move players that you know needed to be moved or acquire players that you know we're going to put ourselves at some point and in, in be in that position. Hopefully, it's this year, um, but we're but we're going in the right direction. If we were, if I felt like we were taking a step back, I'd be concerned. But I, I know that we're going in the right direction. And that's the only number that counts to me is trying to win that championship. Oh, that's what we like to hear. That's yeah. right. We love to hear that. Mystics, I, go ahead. No, I didn't have any more basketball stuff, but are you? have you been into the Caps run here? Totally into it. Uh, Barry Trotz and I are friends. Uh, our families have dinners together. Um you know, I'm, I'm rooting for the Caps because I've been here now. Yeah. Uh, I've been a hockey fan for a while. Um, but, you know, knowing him and knowing, getting to know people in the organization has been fun. Uh, when I'm in town, I've been to almost every game I could be to. I'll be at the, the playoff games, and it's been exciting. Uh, 
uh, it would be great for the city to, mm-hmm. to yeah. play for a Stanley Cup uh, yeah. in about 10 days. So yeah. let's let's hope that happens. But it, it's been a fun time. It now, has. if they make it that far, one of the teams they may play against is L- is Las Vegas. And I know there have been issues that there's such a home court advantage for Las Vegas <laughs> Knights. Are you worried about that in the WNBA for that Las Vegas team? That when teams go there, they just want to have fun. Yeah, I don't know. We, we, <laughs> we don't have a lot of time to worry about because we're kind of in there for about 40 hours. Um I don't know. I think our players are mature enough to understand that, you know, um, we're going to kind of take care of business first. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how it's worked out for <laughs> hockey teams. I mean, you know, it, it. I don't think that happens to Vegas in the playoffs as much. I, you know, uh, we we only have one trip into Vegas this year, so we'll see. I mean, there's been other cities I've worried about that too. So. <laughs> Uh, NBA coaches can tell you that there are other cities you worry about maybe just as much as Vegas for a lot of different reasons. So uh, players seem to know where to go out or where to find places uh, no matter where you are. Um, it'll be fun to go out there and see what kind of atmosphere they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a great city for the WNBA, uh, and I wish them a lot of luck except when we play them. Yeah. Well, we wish you a lot of luck this season. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on off the bench with us, which will be the first of many this season. Uh, thank you again. And uh, remember, Mystics fans, hashtag TogetherDC. We will get there. Uh, ciao for now, everybody. Mm-hmm.